This podcast is brought to you by its financial supporters on Venmo, PayPal, and Patreon. Zach, Breck, Jed, Tom, Alex, Christine, Jeff, William, Mark, Danny, Dave, Nick, Kelly, Ryan, Marta, Cam, Andy, Patty, Tim, and Paul. Thank you for helping me to have these conversations and to create this content. Keep Talking exists to have conversations that might help to make a better society and a better culture. I believe that each guest has important information and stories to make public, and it's something that I want to share. The following is a conversation with Peter Verstraight. Peter is a businessman and the co-founder of Mosa Meat. During our conversation, Peter talks about Mosa Meat's technical breakthrough in making the world's first cultured hamburger, a burger that was created fully in a lab, without raising and killing livestock. The promise of cultured meat to combat climate change and decrease pollution and deforestation, its enormous potential for mitigating animal suffering, the economic challenges of making cultured meat affordable, and when people might expect to be able to purchase and consume such cultivated meat. If successful, companies like Mosa Meat offer an amazing potential future, one in which people might be able to inexpensively and healthily consume high-quality meat with little to no environmental damage and minimal harm inflicted upon sentient animals. This would be a massive win for our collective wealth, ethics, and habitat. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Peter Verstraight. All right, Peter. Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you for doing this. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while and uh, wanting to talk about this subject we're going to talk about for quite some time. So welcome to the show. It's, it's good to have you on. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I want Thanks to start... My pleasure. Um, I, I'd love to start with your background. And as I was doing research for this conversation uh, recently, one of the things that sticks out to me, to your story, is that my understanding is that your um, your background is in the meat industry itself. And so I would love to know that Genesis story for you personally of how you got into to, to the meat industry yourself. And then we can obviously transition as the conversation um, goes on into the work that you're doing at Most of Meat Now and how you got into um, the uh, the new realm of business that you're in now. But what, how did you get into the meat industry in the first place? Sure, yes. So I, um, I have a master's in food chemistry, um, which I got here in the Netherlands. And I got into the meat industry because there was a job opening in the meat industry. So I, I graduated and um, it was a pretty pretty good labor situation at the time. So the university was called from time to time by companies that they were looking for people. And I was linked to someone who was looking for uh, uh, an R&D guy or girl in the in the, in the process meat area. Uh, and uh, I went and I got it. It wasn't like it was my dream to be in the meat industry. It's also not like I come from like a farmer background that has anything to do with the meat industry. I like meat. So much is true. But uh, it, uh, other than that, it's just chance. So I, I ended up in a small... Uh, innovative company that was working on some technology that's, uh, uh, that was about to, uh, uh, let's say, uh, 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 change the traditional processing of, uh, of sliced meat into something else. Nothing to do with uh, cultivated meat, by the way, uh, other than that, it, then it was a very innovative environment. So that's, where, that's when I ended up in the meat industry, got to learn it a little bit, uh, got to learn the technology and uh, Ended up working for companies like uh, Cambofrio, Smithfields, Jacklings, Sara Lee, uh, on all sorts of positions, but mainly in the R and D area. Yeah, yeah. Yep. the 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 point in you know history. I was I was thinking about this yesterday about the the moment in two thousand and thirteen, and I, I think I think that date is correct. Where for I, I believe the number was something like three hundred and twenty-five hundred thousand dollars, or three hundred thirty three hundred three hundred thirty thousand dollars. 
something happened that I wonder if in history will be a bit of a seminal moment in the history of the the human story and the certainly the way in which people eat. And that story, which I would love to get the details of, is the moment in which you and your small team, it seems like we're able to successfully cultivate high quality beef. Um, what I know about that, in addition to the cost and the, and the timeline, is that Sergey Brin, as I understand it, played a financial role in assisting your team in doing that. I, I have heard you say this in prior interviews that this sounds like something out of Star Trek, and it does to me too. Um, how in the hell did that happen in the first place? Did you know that technology was possible? And I would love to hear the the outline story of how that even was possible, how the the team that came together that was even technically capable of, of putting that together. Uh, so would you like to hear the story from the start? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so to start, so the moment I got acquainted with, involved with, uh, became fascinated by uh, cultivated meats or cultured meats or uh, phytro meat, as we used to call it in the beginning, uh, is actually about 20 years ago now. So way before this uh, 2013 event, um, I met a guy uh, in 2002 while I was working for uh, for a company called Sarah Lee mm. in the Netherlands uh, called Willem van Eyle, uh, a Dutch guy um, who wasn't the first to come up with the concept of culture, but he was the first to take action on it. So his um, raising a pet or landing a patent, that's what he did in the 90s already, uh, on, let's say, a very generic application of cultured of cultured meat, meat um, was probably the first very pivotal moment um, he had done that because he saw the potential basically uh, for some other more personal reasons but he, he did see the potential and was an entrepreneur who saw so and he came to me while I was working for Sara Lee because he was looking for a, a company that processed meat hmm. uh, to be able to adopt that technology at some point and start to produce cultured meat uh, for for the market. Um, he had interested the Dutch government uh, in 2002-2003 to fund him. And at the time, it was a crazy but also somewhat um, uh, fascinating idea. There was no politics involved yet in, 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 in thinking about what this would actually do with agriculture or whatever. So they he persuaded them that this was uh, this, that this was uh, uh, had, a, had a lot of potential, and, uh, and and they were interested enough to give him some funding, two million, and with that he raised the interest of a couple of universities in the Netherlands to start doing initial research into the tissue engineering of muscle. That's basically what meat is. But one precondition was that there had to be a commercial party on board as well of that uh, of that group of researchers. Um, the naive thought being that when this four-year project, that's what it was, uh, <laughs> were ended, then this commercial party started bringing products to the market. And that's why it came to me. I was working for a pretty well-known branded meat company at the time in the Netherlands, and he just knocked on my door and invited, and I happened to be there. If I hadn't been there, well, at least my life would have been pretty different. But I was there, so I, I listened to him. Uh, for a short while, I thought he was crazy when he explained to me what, what this is. Um, but then again, um, I didn't after a short while, like I said, because um, my wife is a biologist. And at the time, she was working on heart muscle cells, something completely different, but in the medical field, again, by chance. Uh, and I remember us going over there and we came to the lab and look at throbbing heart muscle tissue. It, that's actually what it does on, on the bottom of a petri dish uh, when you culture those cells. So I thought, well, but maybe it's not crazy after all. So, um, and the, the benefits of this, when it would be big, they were, they were clear to me right from the start. I mean, animal suffering, climate change, uh, the works. Uh, I actually wrote a memo that said all this, all that uh, to the leadership of Sarah Lee, uh, asking them if I was allowed to join this project. They said no. Uh, I, I, well, I went back to them, 
try to persuade them. At some point, they say, well, Peter, uh, if you want to do this so badly, just do it, uh, but anonymously. So uh, you can step on this project, but don't you know, don't make a lot of noise about it. Yeah. Um, I did, and I stepped on, and the project started uh, 2004, I think it was, uh, lasted four years. Somewhere halfway that project, someone fell ill, and in came Mark Post, the, co- the co-founder of Moza and Meet. Mark and I founded Moza and Meet together. So I met Mark in 2006, and uh, he was as fascinated by this as I was. And in comes another pivotal moment, which was when this project had ended, and we obviously well, we've made progress, but we we were nowhere near, you know, having super having, having uh, hamburgers in our local supermarket. Mark decided to continue to work on this at his own lab, the lab that he ran as a as a professor in uh, at Maastricht University. Hmm. So he he decided to continue working on this as an academic thing, basically the taxpayers. This caught the attention of uh, of the media because you know it's 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 interesting to write about meats. There's a lot of pluses and minuses concerning meats, and then these guys start to do to to to, to, to phrase your words to, to do Star Trek Star Trek stuff with meat as well. On top of that, so it was very interesting stuff in the, in the early days to write about, and so regularly there were articles in in in, in sometimes pretty renowned. Uh, newspapers or newspapers or journals and some of that publicity was picked up by indeed by the people of Sergei Brin or by Brin himself and they came to us and they said this is a great idea we want to help you this was around 2010-11 I think Um, and um, what they also said was uh, you should stop you know showing visuals of people in white coats stirring purple fluid in a lab that's not what people associate with me you should just make a product (laughs) You should make a product at any cost and invite a lot of people over, invite the press over, cook it and eat it. And, and that's going to stir attention and, 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 and raise a couple of eyebrows and, you know, create the interest of stakeholders like potential producers or uh, the existing business or consumers. Whatever. So, um, yeah, we said, yeah, we can do that, but it's going to be very expensive, which was not a problem. Um, for obvious reasons, and uh, yeah, so we, we made three of those burgers, and one of them was cooked in in August 2013 in in London uh, during a cooking show. One of the remnants of this early project that was that we were, and and some of the work that Mark and his people had, on his lab had done afterwards was that we were able to make tiny fibers uh, of of meat, and if you just make a lot of them, like about 15 to 20,000 for one burger and you have a burger. So that's, that's essentially what we did. The people in the lab probably went crazy in that period because they did very, very rep- repetitive work uh, making those you know, endless numbers of, of tiny fibers, but it, uh, it ended up being a success in the sense that we made those burgers, we cooked them, it created, it, it, it raised a lot of, lot of interest, a lot, a lot of publicity. Um, it was a very well organized event as well. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's fair to say, looking back now, there's there's like 100 companies in this active in this field in all, all sorts of ways and all sorts of stages of their existence. Uh, but they all emerged after 2013. So it's, yeah, this event probably, you know, uh, played a role in creating their uh, interest in this. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it served the purpose. As I hear that story, it to me, it sounds like it, was essentially nearly a decade of time from the inception of the idea, the initial conversations about doing this, and actually in 2013, creating those three hamburgers. Is that is that about correct in terms of how long it took to get that moment into existence? You know, it depends on how many people you work on this with. So if you work on this with two or three or four people, which, which was the case between uh, 2004 and 2013, um then yeah then it takes so long because you know understanding the biology understanding the metabolism of the cells and transferring that to a system outside of the animal it is there's so many variables that you need to uh, yeah. take into consideration there's so much um, testing so much experimenting that you need to do you just need a lot of people a lot of equipment a lot of analytic equipment and what have you um 
to do this. So, so yeah, it, it's it's true. Or if you reverse it, if you look at our progress uh, and, and what it has been over the last couple of years, I'm jumping ahead a little bit now, but if you look at the man hours and girl hours that we spent on developing this this technology, yeah, probably ninety five percent of that has been spent in the last year and a half, two years. Yeah, yeah. That's that's when it actually then it's when it really started to kickstart into. into I'm realizing that I think for people, I have been following this industry on and off since probably the mid to late uh, aughts, you know, 2005 to the early 2010s. And I, I'm realizing that there are probably are plenty of people that might be listening to this who don't really understand what we're talking about in terms of the specifics. You, you've mentioned the phrase cultured meat a couple of times. And I'm going to present what I think is my very amateur understanding of what what the end product is that you're offering to people or that has been offered to people before that has been edible. Yeah, I was reading yesterday that the the cultured meat that is often used, right? The 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 cells I suppose that are the originating biological basis for the eventual cultured meat are often come from something called limousine cattle, um, essentially high, very high, high grade, high quality beef cattle that there is a small incision that is taken out of that cattle. And then that is it. You basically take that biological sample, provided you have that as a basis, you can then, the technology now exists to allow your team, other teams to be able to take that as a, as a starting point and then end up through what I'm sure is an extraordinarily complicated process, end up with a very tasty, very healthy hamburger with none of the, as you mentioned earlier, none of the downside risks, um, none of the suffering that is generally involved with historic cattle production. Uh, I'm sure some of that was incorrect. I would love for you to fill in the gaps there in terms of uh, the the process that ends up leading to the the hamburgers that that people you know in principle can the technology now exists for those people to to eat those hamburgers. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, what you're saying is correct. It's 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 not necessarily complete, but indeed it's correct. You start. <laughs> You start off with uh, with the number of cells that you take from from the animal, and, you, yep. and yes, you can do that with a biopsy, a so-called biopsy, in which case the animal lives. Uh, you take you take a sample of a couple of hundred milligrams of uh, of muscle from the animal, and from those uh, from that sample, you you collect uh, or you select, you identify and select out um, uh, the cells that are precursors of of muscle tissue. So in, in muscle tissue, there are cells that are there that are non-specific and they just um, come into action when the muscle is damaged. It's hurt. It's, 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 there's a rupture to the muscle. That's when they start to uh, uh, well, basically be the repair kit of the muscle. So these cells are just present in muscle tissue. So they're also present in this, in this sample that you take from the animal. We take those cells out and then you go through a two-stage process. Stage one is um, where you put them in growth media. So you give them nutrients, basically, and you let them proliferate. So they, they double and they double and they double. They do this multiple times, 15, 20, 25 times. Um, and when you have a lot of them, and I mean a lot of them, um, then you take them to a second, a second stage in which the so-called differentiation takes place. So this is where the cells turn from individual cells into muscle fibers. Mm. So they merge, they go through a process, with, again, that's called differentiation. Uh, they merge into muscle fibers. They're pre-programmed to do that. That's not our magic, that's nature's yeah. magic. This is for muscle, and there's a similar uh, process for fat as well. Similar but different process that runs in parallel with that. It's not simultaneously, it, it, it is parallel, in parallel. So that's that's the short story of 
of how it works. And when this differentiation is has is is is, fi is finished, um, you have tissue, and those small pieces of tissue are harvested, and um, the muscle and the fat are mixed together up to a point where you have the right fat percentage, and then indeed you can make uh, burgers or sausages or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would imagine you must remember this moment when your team realized that this was technically feasible. And, and maybe I'm incorrect in that you you knew scientifically that this this was this was actually possible far before it it worked. Um, I'd love to hear that story from your perspective and your team's perspective of that. I don't know if I would call it an aha moment, but a moment in which it, it, there is a you know, a clear conclusion that technically this can be done. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a food, I'm not really a, a hardcore, so not at all, a scientist. So it's uh, first of all, it's 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 more Mark's team yep. that that did the hardcore and are still doing the hardcore science development on this uh, on this topic. Um, for me, uh, a, um, a defining moment was when we actually literally saw that these tiny um, pieces of fiber had indeed been turned into a product that was the spitting image of a hamburger because it was a hamburger. Yeah. For me as a food technologist, that, that's when it became a reality. But that's one point. Another point was you know, looking under a microscope and seeing the, 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 the characteristic muscle structure that's more a biological sign, but uh, that too is... is uh, says that you're on the that you're on the right track if you like. So that too was a good moment. Not that long ago, there. I mean, there, there have been several moments, and probably um, given that we're now with, not with two or three or four people, but with 120 people. Yeah. The 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 time space between those moments will be shorter and shorter because the development is now is now getting going faster and faster, which is which is a good thing. Uh, just like tasting the meat, the, 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 the tasting of the fat, for instance, was, was a great moment. Tasting fat and realizing that you're experiencing uh, beef fat taste that's not from a dead animal. That's, that's, that's a pretty interesting moment. Yeah. Um, I, I will tell you selfishly sort of why, uh, you know, in addition to just technically what a, an accomplishment that, that is for you and your team, you know, I when I was in college, I started reading animal suffering literature. And, um, you know, I think probably Peter Singer might be the most well-known popularizer of, uh, what is really going on, especially in factory farming related to how we survive, how we eat in the Western world, especially, but around the world entirely. And that in my mind, um, it, it was one of those you know, kind of ethical decisions where I think for most of my upbringing, it was something that I grew up in the Midwest and everyone I knew ate meat. You know, there, there was no one that I, I knew growing up as a kid who, who wasn't going and buying chicken at the, at the uh, grocery store. And I think when I began to realize one that, you know, human beings are animals like all the other animals on the, in, in the animal kingdom, and that there's essentially an animal holocaust going on right in front of us that most people, in my judgment, just won't concede. They won't recognize that there are sentient animals that are being tortured day in and day out for us to eat the way that we want to. And I don't even you know, blame people necessarily for persisting in, in the way that they eat. I've, I've heard you say this before in, in other interviews as well, that you know, to expect that most people will have the willpower and ability to shift into a vegetarian diet is not something that is, you know, something to really be expected um, from the population as a whole. And I think you're right. I mean, I, I transitioned to being a vegetarian in my mid twenties. Once I was buying all my food that lasted for about seven years I started eating fish in part because I missed it and in part because I thought it would probably be healthy for me to begin to have some sort of consistent animal protein in my diet, which, which didn't exist for, for many years. You know, 
there, there in my mind seem to be two primary enormous potential wins in the work that you're doing. One is mitigating the rampant suffering of, of animals that are happening in plain sight for all of us. And then the secondary component is the climate change possibility, the environmental damage, which I really wasn't familiar with when I first transitioned to no longer eating uh, factory farm meat. I'd love to give you an opportunity to to speak to that. I've heard you mostly in prior interviews talk about the effect that if if this is to be successful, and I think there's good reason to believe that the initiatives at Mosa Meat will work in in short order, I mean, w- within five or 10 years, potentially, um, what the world might look like when it is successful. And I, I know you've talked a lot about the climate successes that might come from that, but I'd love if, if, you, if you can to talk about the other, the other side to this, that, that is the potential massive win, which is the reduction in, in suffering for sentient animals. You know, I'm sure you've thought a lot about this over the years when, as you've worked on this, I'd love for you to paint the picture as best you can in terms of where we still are right now, you know, how much, how widespread the suffering likely is and, and how your work might, might really help to mitigate that. So first of all, you're right. uh, When you say that, um, what we're dealing here with is is something of a, uh, well, you could call it an addiction, maybe meat is so, uh, the taste of meat is so addictive that most people, well, a lot of people, probably most people find it really hard to, to not eat meat. I mean, yeah. if, if, um, if the majority of people, of people were, were open to, to compromise on that, we probably wouldn't exist. Actually, the reason we exist is, is, is just this. Um, with, with compromise, you, you, you'd rather switch to plant-based meat substitutes because they're maybe not there yet, but they're getting closer, you know, and, and, and uh, with a bit of imagination, it's, it's really close in some cases. So, but that's, um, that's probably not going to cut it alone. I mean, the future is going to be more diverse, but um, it, it's, I'm still convinced that it'll take more than plant-based or other um, non-meat protein source-based uh, products to to really drive people away from consuming meat yeah. uh, in the future. I'm, by the way, personally not against eating meat. I just feel that it's gotten out of hand, meat yeah. consumption and meat production. Uh, there's... A lot of people on this planet and their their welfare is increasing. So and 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 it's been shown over and over again in history that one of the first things people do when they reach a certain level of you know welfare, um, they start including meat in their diet. It's that's that's uh, sort of a golden rule. So those two combined, the addictive power of meats and the increased demand and the impact it has on on the planet are still the main reason for me to do this. So, you know, the, the, the environmental impact, the sustainability, downsides of meat, um, those are still the main reason for me to do this. The reduction of animal suffering, which is obviously the side effect is the best possible thinkable side effect you can have. But I'm a bit cautious with what I say because personally, I still from time yeah. to time eat meat. So I, I don't really have the right to to you know, to, to be very strict here because I'm not, because I'm not, but I, I do know widespread animal suffering is, is going on, of course. And it's probably much more related to factory farming as it's called. So large scale, very, very efficient farming operations and, and uh, up to the point of slaughtering and processing much more than to small scale local uh, herd keeping, uh, which can have a very beneficial impact on, you know, uh, communities and even nature. Uh, it's, so it's 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 the big stuff that that's what we're interested in to mm. big scale stuff. That's that's what we're interested to into place at some point. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to be decades. I mean, it's going it's going to take a long time. It's not like that's going to happen tomorrow or or next year or five years from today. It's, it's going to be a slow process because of the huge, huge size of the meat market. 
Yeah. So from a practical from a practical point of view alone, if I were to if I knew today how to do this, it would still take me a long time to actually do it because it's it's so huge. Yeah. I I hear you and I, I have had to I've changed some of my tune related to the meat industry personally because I think there are you know, as you I still have eaten eggs for you know the entire time that I was a, a quote unquote vegetarian. Um you know, there, there obviously there's the factory farming component to this. And then there's also, you know, grass fed, much more quote unquote humane methods for raising cattle that are then slaughtered to, to have us consume them. And I guess from my perspective, just from an ethical point of view, it's a, it's a much different story when there are animals that are truly being treated as tortured prisoners versus on balance, you know, eventually we're all mortal and they come to their slaughtered end at the end of their life. But on balance, I think it's probably debatable whether or not their existence in the first place was worth having. And it very well may have been, um, there, go ahead. Oh yeah. I, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. 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 Um, plus in, in my judgment too, that, you know, acting self-righteous and judging other people for what are commonly common practices in your civilization is not generally the route to persuasion. Um, the, the other side to this, which I've heard you speak much more about is the, is the effect on climate. And, and that may be the more important, you know, long-term win if companies like most meat are successful in their long-term mission. I don't know that most people I know are familiar with how devastating, you know, agriculture and meat production is to the changing climate on earth. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to speak to that of what we know now is going on with how much the cattle that we raise are affecting most likely in a negative direction, the climate of the planet. Uh, if you can talk about that, what what are the details that we now know are are happening? So yeah, no, the sustainability sustainability impact of meat is uh, on this is planned. The negative sustainability impact is uh, is uh, is huge. Um, first of all, because of the uh, in the case of beef, which is which is our meat of choice, um, uh, because of the emission of methane from cows. Yeah. Which is a gas that has uh, a much higher uh, impact on climate change than CO2, than carbon dioxide has. Um, it stays in the atmosphere less long than carbon dioxide, but it has a much higher impact on retaining heat. So the methane em- emitted by cows directly through burping, but also indirectly, um, is, uh, is a big driver here. Um, the impact on uh, pollution. It's also big because of the concentration of, we, we spoke about factory farming uh, earlier. So on many places on this planet, uh, meat production is very, very concentrated, uh, meaning the, uh, the uh, uh, manure of plastic yeah. to, uh, to the cows, the manure of the, uh, of the animals uh, also is, is coming free in a concentrated form. Um, and you know those numbers are nowhere near what you need for, uh, for an ecosystem that is balanced. So that's that's a huge impact to grow the feed for all those cows to grow uh, with their inefficient conversion of, uh, of feed into uh, into muscle mass. Um, yes, many of them eat grass, but uh, a lot of them also eat uh, crops that we grow: corn, uh, soy, uh, wheat. Um, and this, um, in many cases, goes at the cost of uh, of rainforest. Which in itself again has a big impact, the destruction of the rainforest on uh, on climate. So, yeah, it's overall um, the uh, the impact of of cattle uh, production on uh, the human induced part of climate change. So, what we as humans are doing on top of what's as a normal variety going on, anyways, is between fourteen and eighteen percent uh, as uh, FAO has calculated. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's that's that's big, and we're going for uh, for cows because they have the biggest impact here. Like I said earlier, it seems to me that given that you know, 
it has been established that technically this is feasible. And, and you, you've already alluded to this in this conversation that you know, your, your team had gone from a, a few people to now, I think the number you said was 120. You know, yeah. I, I, my, my background is in uh, the tech business and tech startups. And you know, that, that kind of growth tends to generally be a good sign that things are going in the right direction and that you might be onto something. Um, I was reading yesterday an article about the work that you do and the quote in the article was kind of the, the article itself was going through the timeline of uh, the history of the successes of making cultured meat at Mosa Meat and then the attempt to scale it up to uh, wider distribution and eventually to to scale. Um, it seems to me, and what I've read about the company, that you know in the last few years you, you have made some serious improvements to the production speed and the capacity for dropping the costs of creating these cultured meat. I mean, the number we talked about earlier was $325,000 for the, the first hamburger, which is out of most people's budget. Um, yeah. the, the quote I remember hearing you say, if I remember correctly, was that, you know, I think for most average people, they're, they're wondering, first of all, one, is this safe? And two, when can I get my hands on this to try it if it is safe? And the the observation that I remember you making, and you can obviously correct this if this is incorrect, was that you know we're having this conversation in early twenty twenty two, that within possibly a few years, maybe five years, that might be feasible. But it sounds like from this conversation that it, it may take significantly longer than that. You know, this is another story of of business in general, just things taking a lot longer eventually than. Uh, you may have hoped for in the beginning. Maybe we can first cover the the number one concern, which would be the safety concern, and then we can move on to the the potential timeline for for you from your perspective of when you know I'm in New York City right now. I I could feasibly walk around the corner to a deli and get my hands on some of this stuff. Yeah. So the safety concern. Um, um, what you should know and probably do know is that um, anyone who wants to bring cultivated meat to the market uh, will have to go through uh, pretty stringent um, uh, regulatory approval. Yeah. So you cannot just you know develop this into a technology that works and then start selling to uh, to Tesco's or Aldi's or whoever. Uh, you need to get regulatory approval, which in every geography is a little bit different. But what they have in common is that there is a very strict really very strict uh, safety assessments uh, as part of that uh, that process. So anyone who wants to bring this to the market will have to prove to regulator that it's regulators that it is uh, safe. And um, proving that it is safe is um, is you know, included in a dossier that you need to write and uh, and and submit. So we'll be doing that in. Uh, probably in, in multiple geographies. Obviously, we're based in the EU, so it, it will happen there. We're also looking at other geographies. And you may know that one company, an American company, already had a, a product approved in Singapore, for instance, a cultured uh, chicken product. So that went through those uh, uh, pretty uh, pretty hefty uh, safety uh, checks. Amazing. I didn't know that. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very small scale, and it's uh, I haven't seen the product myself, so I wonder uh, what the technology behind it is. But it, it is a cultivated meat product. Uh, product. It's again, it's chicken and it's nuggets, so it's different from what we do. But it's uh, it's been approved, so it's happening. I mean, it's the first signs are there. We are also working on our, uh, our regulatory dossiers as we speak, um, but. Uh, yeah, you can rest assured. You can rest assured that the regulators will only allow this to go to the markets when it's absolutely safe. It's it's not our choice. It's the regulators' choice. So government's choice to do this. Um, if you ask me personally, yes, I think it is safe. I mean, we, we use starting products. The cells I just uh, uh, briefly spoke about that has been eaten for uh, as long as humans are around. And we only use, you know, um, say food grade materials. So uh, 
normal nutrients to grow the cells into something that's uh, uh, ultimately turned into tissue that's meat. So there's no, it's not fundamentally different from what happens in uh, in the animal. We just do it outside of the animal. So I, I don't have a lot of concerns about uh, about the, the safety, but we'll, we'll, again, we'll, we'll, we will have to prove it, and we're uh, we're uh, smack in the middle of that of that process. Yeah. Timing-wise, the two are actually related a little bit because typically yep. those regulatory processes take a lot of time. In the EU, it can easily take like two years, sometimes even longer. So it's it's really hard to give timelines. Um, So we typically don't anymore. We're we're just going for it uh, for regulatory approval, and at the same time, in parallel, continuing to develop our processes and scaling it. You'll probably be seeing more products coming to the markets in the next years. Uh, I'm pretty sure of, of that. Um, and to come to your question of when it's going to be available in your local supermarket in New York. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not sure if that's going to be five years from today. It might, uh, if things go very, very well. Um, but it brings me to those practicalities I mentioned earlier. I mean, if scaling this business to a point where it, um, it makes an impact. Hmm. Uh, just to give you an idea, if we, if, if we were to replace, let's say, 1% of the meat market with, uh, with cultivated meat, we would, also, we would already be one of the biggest companies in the Netherlands. It's, it's just so huge. So that's going to be determining as well. So the pace at which this is going to happen um, is going to be dependent on, first of all, regulatory approval processes all over the world. And then um, it's going to be depending on how many resources are going to be put towards this and how, how many places are you going to see this developing in parallel. Yeah. Yeah, and, and probably there's going to be some sort of pivotal point uh, where um, it is proven beyond reasonable doubt that it is indeed scalable and will be affordable. Um, and then suddenly you have an alternative for, uh, you know, a $1.6 trillion consumer value industry that is in bad needs of uh, a change. Yeah. I think that's this is partly, strange. it's partly what, what, it, what is so fascinating to me is that if, for people, I'm weird in that I'm interested in the subject and have been following it for, for a while, but for, for those who are not, you know, remotely up to date on the technology and the progression in this space, they could wake up one day and have this be an affordable, safe option for them. And, you know, the only comparable, I mean, I think in the best spirit of capitalism, an option like this presents itself every once in a while where a far superior product is also far more ethical. And, you know, I have seen that in my lifetime with Tesla cars, where they are not only far greener, far better for the, the, the environment on, at a macro level, but they also are what people want. You know, it's the best possible car and they're fun. And yeah, that yeah. it's, I, I heard this line recently from Charlie Munger, who was talking about, how he's a Warren Buffett's kind of right-hand man at Berkshire Hathaway. And he was discussing how it's very difficult to judge other people when the incentives are encouraging them to do the exact behavior you're getting from them. Right. And so uh, a lot of life is about getting the incentives correct, whether it's in a business or a family or even a civilization and the incentives right now for eating for most people who, who are, who live in the West and can afford it is to buy the $5 option of chicken and not yep. ask any questions about where it, where it comes from. And this just seems to be one of these moments where it's possible that, you know, very possible, it seems in, in my lifetime, in our lifetime, that the not only best tasting option, but the far better option in basically every category is going to be coming our way sometime soon. And it may not be soon, as you alluded to already. And you know, I know this related to Tesla that they they're obviously in a, a wildly successful business story. They also share all of their patents with anyone who's interested in getting into this space. And you know, your team 
seems to have pioneered this technology and, and shown that it, there is a proof of concept and it, it can be done. But there are, there's, a, there's a market out there that people are trying to go after and, and to get rich um, or at least be successful in, in conquering. Talk to me about the business side of this because your team is obviously focused on this, but this is attracting a lot of attention. And I'm curious how you think about that. You know, as a as a leader at Most of Meat, obviously you're interested in having your business win. Um, you know, from my perspective as a citizen, you know, company wise, I don't really care who wins. It's more just let's get this moving as quickly as we possibly can. How do you think about that as a as an executive, as a co-founder, you know, as a as a strategist? related to the work that you do as a co-founder I, I i agree with you i mean mark and i we founded the company to make an impact yeah um because we saw it was there potentially um, um so we did we didn't do this to 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 own a boat with a helicopter or 10 years today because that's well first of all at our age doesn't make a lot of sense but also it's simply not why we did this yeah um now I'm really realistic enough to see that there's a lot of value, monetary, economic value in this as yep. well. And you know, um, we're lucky to to have investors on board. Uh, most of them, if not all of them, um, that are sort of with us when they say this is going to take a while. Uh, first of all, and secondly, that this is indeed uh, also about impact. It's also about doing something for the good, for the better of the planet. Um, so we're, we're blessed with, with, a, with a good bunch of investors so far. Uh, and, and, and I'm really pleased with that. Um, at the same time, we're a company. So, you know, you need to generate income at some point to continue to be a company. Uh, it's sort of the motor of what you do. Even if you want to make an impact, you still need that motor to run. Uh, yeah. So our motor will have to run as well, but we're constantly balancing um, out um, well, you mentioned um, sharing earlier, I think, sharing of technology. We, a good example is that we recently published uh, uh, an article um, revealing our serum-free uh, recipe in nature. So, who are we now? Actually, peer-reviewed article. Um, there's something of a reason of sharing and... and um, stimulating peer-reviewed research into the fundamentals of this technology behind that. We think that's important. So um, so that's the reason why why we do that. And it might be a little bit atypical, but we, we do it for that reason. Hmm. To broaden the base and to, to make sure that this actually becomes a thing. So um, that's probably going to be some sort of a balancing act uh, for some time to, to come. I mean, in your whole business model, you might be looking at, and we haven't decided yet, where, I mean, we're not there yet, but you might be on the on one hand looking, be looking at a branded product that you gradually build from, from scratch to something that's big and branded, or you might be looking at uh, planting your seeds in, in, in 25 or 50 spots on this planet in parallel and and you know just letting it grow from there hmm. there's things to say to say for both but um i myself i mean i'm i'm just a player in the, in this company now and a D player obviously uh but i myself would would uh encourage um to have a healthy balance between the speed at which this technology grows on the planet and uh economical growth of the company yeah. And if speaking about the economics about this, right, this is obviously a key, a key aspect of, of the viability, I think, of the industry in general. But, you know, if the first hamburger was, you know, just over $300,000 to, to produce, where are we right now? You know, wh- where is your team in terms of being able to cut that cost? And where might we be, let's say, in the next five to 10 years? Oh, we made we made a lot of progress. Uh, uh, thankfully, there um, and 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 we need to. But I, I must say, the main um, work we've done so far has gone towards understanding the biology and you know being able to to uh, 
uh, implement that biology outside of the animal in, in, a, in a system that actually works. Hmm. Um, it's, it's um, yeah, so it's basically improving the technology, improving the products that come out of it and, and scaling uh, the process. Those have been focuses uh, for us. So we don't, we don't really have a specific price because the price, yes, I'll tell you why. This is not to evade your question in any way, but the price is uh, is made up of so many components, which starts with, you know, all those dozens of co- components that are in your growth media, uh, the way they are uh, uh, used or not, uh, the efficiency at which, at which they are used, the scale at which you do it, the density of the cells in the system in which you, you grow your uh, you grow your meat, um, the, the 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 investment you have to do in the equipment to do it. So it's we're working on maybe six, seven, or eight different uh, aspects that together determine the price. We're making progress on all of them, but there's no such thing like a meter in our hall that says today the burger costs you like twenty five dollars seventy five. We just what we do want to know is that on each of these levers that determine the price, um, it's realistic to assume that we'll get them down to a point uh, where the overall price is competitive. And actually, we still think that's the case. Um, actually, we still think that we can go under the current price of traditional meat. Yeah. 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 Ult- and- ultimately, it's it's just nutrients converted into fossil tissue. Um that's that's also how any farmer will perceive his or her animals, and that's also how we will perceive it. We're just farming cells, so yeah, it's about the price of the feed and the conversion. This was a this was a a piece of information that was new to me as I was researching this conversation, doing some research for this conversation. Was related to, I think I had heard this years ago, and I'd forgotten it. That you know, as you said. It, you in principle should be able to take the biological sample from the highest quality animals, right? The highest quality beef, the highest quality chicken. We've, we've focused this conversation on the work that, you, that you're doing in the cattle industry with beef specifically, but I'd love to talk about that fact related to the ability given the technology to basically take, as I understand it, kind of the best tasting beef on the planet, uh, the highest quality, you know, what, what are traditionally known as highest quality steaks, I suppose, using that those cattle as the basis for creating this the the new cultured meat. Am I correct in that? That that tends to be the methodology for your team is to go and take what my understanding is like the limousine cattle, and that in principle that could be applied to all other animals as well, um, you know, chicken, pigs, etc. Yeah, so the cattle we use when we do biopsies uh, happens to be limousine, uh, but it's not like we've done an elaborate study on uh, how the various uh, uh, breeds of, of cattle uh, or any other animals for that matter um, uh, are different in, in our process. So we don't really know where the difference if if there are any differences, and if so, um, if they are indeed species dependent or maybe more depending on where in the animal you take your sample. Hmm. That's still somewhat of an uncovered territory. Um, so far, we've we've really focused on, like I said earlier, understanding the basics, understanding the biology of muscle formation, and replicating that outside of the animal. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the the the, the, the taste of the meat um, is uh, is uh, is a result of. Partially of texture, of juiciness, of the, the, the bloodiness, if you like, of the fat composition, very important. Those are all part of our systems as well. On top of that, there's a couple of uh, impacts like that, that are more feed related, so related to if the, if the cattle eats grass or something else. Um, and those are components that you can bring into your product when you, you, know, when you have um, entered into the stage of product development. Yeah. And scaling up to a really large scale we're not we're not there yet but uh, that's not a big concern of ours to be honest i know we're getting towards the the back end of the conversation and i i, I wanted to address this question to you there's somebody who's listening to this who is who's a young who's young who's in in college or even younger than that has learned about 
the work that you you and your team are up to and really believes in primarily the mission you know there there's obviously as you said you have to pay the bills and eventually make money to stay in business what is the you know let's say this is a, an individual who has the ability to kind of morph their technical training the future of their education what are the skills that are really needed right now in your industry specifically with cultured meat that you would advise a young person to go get trained in, in order for them to make a legitimate contribution to the field in general? It's, it's, uh, it's the field related to tissue engineering and related to scaling that up. So it's, it's, it's about biotechnology, biology uh, on one hand. So all the processes that, you know, there are uh, uh, biochemical processes that ultimately make, in our case, make uh, issues that we're after um, and and the process technology. So, you know, taking that protocol that you developed at a very tiny lab scale and turning that into a 10, 20, 100, 200,000 liter bioreactor system. So bioprocessing um, as a final stage, but biotechnology and, and biology uh, as a, in the early stage are all fields that are really interesting um, and really, really um, helpful next to, uh, and I can only uh, vouch you on that one, next to your, your mission drive, if you like. I mean, mm. Most, if not all of the people that we have on board are also extremely driven next to being great scientists or technologists or process operators. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I would, I would really um, uh, urge them to look into the field in the broadest sense of the word. It's not we're talking about meat, but it's not just meat. It's, there's also other animal animal uh, products like like milk or, or, or leather uh, that companies are working on. Hmm. I mean, 10, 20 years from today, we will probably not need a cow anymore to make milk, and we will definitely not need a cow or a steer anymore to make meat. We will probably still do it because of the scale uh, of of what of the of the demand, but we will know by then how to do it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's 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 the replacement of farming animals with farming cells, and that's 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 what's ongoing. Yeah, the um, I think you're right that having a, a mission oriented mentality and getting into this, this space is probably crucial to, to, um, you know, allowing you to persist and, and, and to persevere over time. I mean, you, you've been in this game for quite a long time and I, I don't think that anyone would be able to do that if there wasn't a, a deep fire in the furnace for the mission of what the company is trying to, to achieve. I would love to talk about the future as we close the conversation down and what you think is likely in the next five to 10 years, right? We've already talked about this during the conversation that you, as, I as I hear you, I think you are of the, the mindset that it's going to take some time for this to become widespread and available and affordable for people in most parts of the Western world to be able to buy and consume this kind of meat. What do the next few years look like in your judgment? You know, I know in reading about the company and the investment so far, I think there has been something like in most meat alone, close to a hundred million dollars worth of investment. You know, I know Leonardo DiCaprio has be apparently come on board recently as an advisor and a major investor. What do what does that team, you know, for you specifically, what do you think is reasonable to expect related to cultured meat in the next? say three to five years probably which is like i said earlier there are, there are dozens uh i think over 100 companies are now active in this field um in the next couple of years you will probably see some of them uh emerge as the at the forefront of um scaling up the technology to a point where you can actually start uh, uh, producing so what you're going to see in the next years um, is more and more geographies where it's, uh, uh, a version of the technology is, is brewed for uh, for food hmm. and uh, will be brought to the market. 
um, it'll be at a small scale, it'll be premium, it'll probably all start in restaurants and the likes. Um, but uh, when you see more resources flowing towards the development of this field, um, it'll accelerate. And, and probably up to the point that I just mentioned, where um, we have proof beyond reasonable doubts, like I said earlier, uh, that this is going to be a dominant technology in meat production for the future. Up to that point, uh, it's going to be a lot of hard work and, you know, um, it's going to be uh, uh, tough. But when you reach that point, um, things will probably go faster than you can anticipate today because so many resources will then flow towards the further development of the field. And um, between five and ten years from today, yeah, I, I, I could see this technology make products that you can find in your local supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, I guess before closing, I, I, I want to personally just convey a lot of respect and admiration for the, the mission because I think it's, I hope this will be one of the major things in my life that will just be amazing to be alive to witness, which is this transition. And you know, as an animal myself, it has always made me queasy knowing, um, queasy is not the right word. It's worse than that. You know, it's unsettled and a bit horrified at the way in which, you know, most of us are encouraging an industry that is causing so much suffering. You know, this is separate from the climate change uh, debate, but I'm just grateful that there are minds in the world that have the ability to technically do this and people like yourself who have the determination to see this through. Um, so before we close, I just wanted to, to thank you for that because I, I think I speak for a lot of people out there who are well aware of the fact that we're living in a, in a time in which there is you know, a lot of pros prosperity for human beings in the world in, in many ways and a lot of horrendous suffering by other animals that we like to just turn a blind eye to and like to just forget about that they you know, may not have the psychological capabilities in our entirety that, that human beings do, but they're certainly, they're, they're, they're here and they're awake too. And, um, you know, I, I will be cheering you on obviously as, as you try to scale this as quickly as possible for many reasons. And, and as we already talked about, I think to me, this is the best side of business and capitalism in general is the ability to, to actually accomplish something like this. Um, the last question I'd love to ask you is for people that are hearing this conversation and are learning about your work and maybe the industry in general and are interested in you know following your mission and following the updates, maybe with a, uh, just a, an instinct to try to get their hands on some of this stuff as quickly as possible themselves, uh, what's the best way for people to be able to do that, to follow the progression? Um, and learn what what the milestones might be coming up here. You can also add on to that if you'd like. You know, articulate any help you know, that Mosa Meat could use from the public. You know, whether it's changing legislatures' minds, uh, you know, potential investment opportunities. What what's the best way that the public can can help you guys, and what's the best way that the public can follow what you're up to? So first of all, uh, some of the companies out there, they, uh, they will uh, share uh, uh, updates with you if you, uh, if you apply to uh, on their website. So in the case of Mozameet, my company, uh, I would encourage you to go to mozameet.com and, uh, and uh, uh, check in to be updated on a regular basis, and, then, and you will. There's a, there's a number of, a uh, uh, small number of uh, NGOs out there um, that also bring out newsletters. Those are probably the best source of just, let's say, generic information about the field. I, mm. uh, to come to mind, the Good Food Institute. Just Google it, and you will uh, you'll be able to 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 uh, to apply for their newsletter. Um, and New Harvest, who are I think New York based as well uh, as you are. Um, uh, same goes for them. They are both NG NGOs that are um, 
active in this field, uh, cell-based, both cell-based and plant-based. And uh, uh, first of all, on their websites, you can you know learn a lot from uh, the basics of this technology. But uh, you can also ask them to update you on a regular basis. So I would encourage them. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you for the time and for sharing all of the information. And and again, I just want to convey my my best of luck to to you and your team in in um, achieving your objectives. You're already, I think it's easy to get caught up in the minutia day to day, but it, it seems like you've already achieved so much, and it gives people like me a lot of hope related to this field that. Um, in many ways, better days are ahead of us in, in this specific department. Um, so thank you so much for the time. And, and um, I really wish you all the best in achieving the, the mission of, of most media in general. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for listening to this episode of Keep Talking. If you're finding value in this podcast, please consider supporting the show via the links below on Venmo, PayPal, or Patreon. Your support helps to make these conversations possible.